Welcome back to the Flat Out RC Podcast, a podcast where we talk all things aero modeling. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. My name is Andrew Sill, coming to you from Melbourne, Australia. Lockdown Melbourne, Australia. It continues. It's getting pretty tiring. But anyway, thanks for joining me. Big episode ahead. Uh, special guest, Ash Cox, all the way from South Australia. Uh, he is a friend of mine. Built an aeroplane for me, uh, good guy, and we're, we're heading down this track where I want to have guests from every state in Australia so we can sort of cover the, the flying scene. We've just got Western Australia to go, and I'm, I'm working on that. So stick in there. Episode 30, that's 30 weeks in a row we've brought this Flat Out RC podcast to you. I think we probably go down in the record books as being the longest running podcast almost i think in australia for aero modeling uh, well at least the most consistent with weekly podcasts coming out so thank you to all of you for supporting the podcast i'm just having fun so i keep on doing it so uh let's get into see what's happening uh with the latest news What news do we have for you this week? Well, uh, Victoria is still locked down, except some clubs have opened uh, with two people out at the club at any one point in time on average. Well, the regulations in Victoria now state that you can have up to 10 people at a flying field from two families. So if there are two households, households, sorry, not families, two households with five people in them, they're allowed to go to the field. But that's extremely unlikely unless whole families into aero modeling which is pretty unlikely if they are congratulations to you but uh we're waiting for more announcements for the restrictions today as i record this the the government was supposed to announce something but nothing's happened so we'll hang in there but uh ups and downs because of covid in relation to events uh the michael andrusic from the um scale aeros imac people's just uh, announced the cancellation of the victorian state champs which was going to happen early November, too hard to call. Uh, probably a good good thing to cancel it anyway. So Michael doing a responsible thing. But just looking at Queensland still up and running. Um, just having a look at their Facebook page. On 8th of November, they've got a uh, pylon day happening. Three classes, F3D, F3T versus F3E challenge race. F3D versus F3T versus F3E challenge race. Uh, three classes, high noon, 8th to the 11th at Toowoomba Aero Modelers association so they've got some stuff going on um oh, there's another one has this one been run or not tingalpa model aero club opened all 46 size warbird so it's good to see that some of these clubs are, are putting on events to keep things happening um and especially up in queensland they do a pretty good job up in queensland queensland's a great place to fly i always say that you know there's a good modeling community up there because your weather's better you know, as I look out the window here in Melbourne at the moment, it's blowing a gale. Uh, we we really haven't had the run of weather. I have. I did try to go slope soaring yesterday. Uh, at down at the beach, but I went and had a look, and the weather was just too windy. It was too sketchy. Uh, and look, that's it. Raises an important point. Before you go out and fly somewhere, especially if it's not at a flying site, just think twice and think about where you're flying, how high you're flying. If there's other people around. I made the call not to fly because I just didn't think the conditions were safe enough and that I could uh, protect people and property sufficiently enough. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was pretty windy. And so I packed up and went home. Well, I didn't even unpack. I just looked out the window of the car and went, no, nah, it's not today, and went back home. 
And I think that is just the responsible thing to do and the right thing to do. And right is always right. It's one thing to remember. Uh, right is always right. So a couple of events there. Keep an eye out. Like the MAAA put a, an email out to members recently during the week about um, using Facebook and uh, saying that it's a good way to promote the hobby, etc. And it is when used the correct way, dear MAAA. What I mean by that is Facebook brings the best and worst out of people. And I think one of the things to do for anybody that's starting a Facebook page for their model club is create very, very strict guidelines as to what that page is about and what will be tolerated on that page. I've been involved in associations before and seeing that things really fall apart as a result of Facebook. What Facebook allows people to do is state an opinion. And that doesn't mean their opinion is right. They just could be weird and state a weird opinion. You know how you can tell if someone's got a weird opinion is when they get onto Facebook and say, oh, my freedom of speech has gone out the window. You know, I've been... I've been muted kind of thing. And that's a lot of rubbish. Basically, what people are saying is what you're saying is wrong and factually incorrect and we're tired of you. So please don't use the debate that uh, you don't have a voice. Everyone's got a voice. It's just sometimes you put your voice in the wrong place. So anybody that's a member of a club that is claiming that they get silenced, no, you're not being silenced. Go to your club meeting, raise your concerns there. Don't put it on Facebook. So yes, Facebook can be very good, very, very good in um, helping to promote events little tip I'm putting my marketing uh, experience on hat on and that is if you run an event paid advertising run an ad to promote your event to your local area especially especially around country regions and that kind of thing uh, cost peanuts and it just helps spread the word it's so easy to do nowadays the uh, you know, be mindful of this if you've got 20 people following your page and you put a post out there on average you're going to have a maximum of 20 people unless they share the living daylights out of your post um to try to get some sort of organic reach as they call it but use facebook very very wisely i I recommend everybody to go and watch a movie on netflix called the social dilemma and you'll see how the conspiracy theorists have a voice on facebook and that facebook will support their conspiracy theories by feeding them more content and that's what i don't like about facebook is that as i said brings the best and worst out of people so start a facebook page just be very very careful about the rules and regulations. And as I've stated to one group, my local flying club, pin the rules at the top of the page. Clearly outline what will be tolerated and what will be deleted. So that means you can then control it. If anybody has a real beef with the club that you're a member of, go to the president and have a chat with them face-to-face. Don't get on Facebook trying to seek supporters because you're that insecure that you you know, think you need to grab an audience of like-minded people, which you might not be able to gather most of the audience is going to look at you negatively go to the local club meeting raise your concern do your research make sure your facts are clear and go for it just keep it off facebook anyway enough of my ranting about facebook so keep an eye out events happening in local areas queensland south australia western australia still going strong with events so keep an eye out for them and hopefully when we get over this COVID thing we'll all be back to normal and i can't wait to get back to flying events guest time and this week's guest is ash cox all the way from adelaide south australia ash uh i became known of ash through a mutual friend marty morgan uh ash started a business where he was he loves building models and so he was providing a building service and uh, i wanted to get 100 cc built at the time 
because I just didn't have enough time to work on it. I was busy with the magazine and work and all that kind of stuff. So paid Ash to do it, dropped the plane off to Marty Morgan when he was on holidays in Swan Hill. He took it back to South Australia. Marty, uh, Ash went and picked it up from Marty. And the rest is history. Then I went and picked it up myself after it was built and he did a good job. It was on my uh, 3D Hobby Shop 108 Extra, which I have flown. And uh, it was, yeah, did a better job than what I possibly could. So met Ash then and come to know him a little bit through some of his activities. He's a jet flyer, but he's just he's just an average Joe Aero modeler, which I love to have on the show as well. It's not about the glitz and glamour of having the high-profile names, but down-to-earth people uh, that we can relate to and just hearing their story in the hobby. And that's what Ash and I uh, discuss. So if you're interested in anything, from aerobatic planes to jets and things like that. Stay tuned and have a ch- have a listen to Ashcox. Now, it's my great pleasure today to have a friend of mine all the way from South Australia. This is my attempt to have someone from every state. And joining me is Ash Cox here on the Flat Out RC podcast. Ash, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Well, Ash, I could introduce you through one of our mutual friends, Marty Morgan, uh, from, from South Australia. And uh you built an aeroplane for me we'll get to that straight off the bat you built my 3d hobby shop 108 inch extra 100cc aerobatic plane for me and did a a wonderful job but you're an avid aero modeler uh you're sort of a known entity coming from south australia on many fronts how did your journey in aero modeling begin yeah, just listening to your uh, your last uh, few podcasts, um, everyone's been around a lot longer than me. I've only been in it pretty very recent, so a little bit about my background. So um, as a kid growing up, I used to live down south of Adelaide, and we had the Nolunga Flying Club and the Holdfast Flying Club. Um, so every uh, like when we were driving past as a family or something, I'd always ask uh, mum and dad to drop in and have a look around and have a look at the flying uh displays going on and and that sort of thing and there's always a little bit of an inkling there to uh, jump into the hobby but um, then I found motorbikes and dirt bikes and <laughs> never really got into cars or, or although I had some uh, cars but uh, there's always the dirt bikes for me and then uh, about 10 or so years ago when I met my now current wife Courtney um, her uncle is a member down at the Southern Soaring League with Mike and the guys that uh, do the soaring down there so he was in the hobby, and then a, another family friend of Courtney's um, was also in the hobby as well. So obviously uh, got to talking to them a bit, being um, through Courtney, um, and then I went to the field a few times, and like everyone else, the bug just catches on. and <laughs> The rest is history. First, uh, <laughs> You end up with a, a foamy, and that's what I learned. I actually learned on the simulator first, and then obviously went to the uh, the Bixler, which is well known as a uh, first uh, first plane for a lot of people to start out on, and um, their durability and that sort of thing, and uh, sort of went from there. And then I said I'd never get a big plane, never get into jets, and never need a trailer. And now got big planes, big jets, big trailer, and uh, a lot less money. <laughs> That's right. Because you know, it's, it's your story is quite interesting because it's the first time I've heard of someone that got into ho- to the hobby through their wife. There, were, there were you know, um, Tim DeHaan from Victoria. His wife sort of encouraged him, you know, to, to to buy a model. But, but basically, not only did you meet your lovely wife, but you got a new hobby out of it as well, which is which is amazing. And and yes, you have uh, it, the Hobby King Bixler. I think 
it is an underrated aircraft for beginners. I I went and bought one secondhand for my son. Cost me all of fifty dollars, and it's, yeah. it was beaten up, but it still flew okay. So often I say, but the other interesting thing, the simulator. Tell me, how did you said you got into the simulator first? How did that come about? Like, why did you decide to go to the simulator first? I think it's just um, like I was never a big um, like PlayStation fan or Xbox fan, so I was into computer games and that sort of thing. But um, I think the simulator just gets the thumbs and the brain working together. Um, and that's really where it all starts. Like most kids these days are always on the PlayStation and, and all that sort of stuff. Whereas, uh, like I played with like nitro cars and that sort of thing, but never a uh, a, a fixed wing plane or a helicopter or a quad back then or anything like that. So it was all new to me as well. I'd just been to the clubs and had a look around and that sort of thing. So it was all new to me, and um, I found the simulator really good. Like I spent hours on it, like night after night. Like Courtney didn't see me for hours. I was in the shed playing on the on the simulator and all the different planes, although it's not exactly the same, but it still gives you um, like an idea of different movements and different um, combinations that you can do with the controls and just like and like a basic overview pretty much, which like even like even uh, in the RAF, like they're all using the simulators to, to get stick time, so to speak. So it's a great way to start, I think. And the simulators these days, like with Real Flight 9 and that sort of thing, Although they're not like exactly like flying um, down at your local club or anything like that, but they're they're pretty close and it's a lot of fun as well. And all the online play, you can jump on there with your mates. I know it's uh, been pretty big during COVID as well um, to jump online and that sort of thing. So um, although I haven't been able to do it much now, but um, yeah, the simulator's great. Well, that's because you've got a newborn baby and you've also got a young <laughs> son as well. So, so see, look. How old are you now? Just so that we can put context to you so that people understand who we're talking to. I'm 33, so I've only been in the hobby, yeah, just gone on 10 years, so um, I'm relative new. That's all right. We're probably about the same same vintage in the hobby, so we're doing well. It's just I'm a, I'm a lot older than you. But the, um, <laughs> yeah, I always say with the simulator, I think with any simulator, whether it be a car simulator or you know, a model simulator or that kind of thing, yeah, it's never going to be like the real thing, but the stick movements are like the real thing, which I think is the most important thing. I think that's why when, when I get onto the sim in a multiplayer session, it's no coincidence that I'm either joined by heli pilots or 3D aerobatic people that are trying to learn new manoeuvres. And all the mates that I get online yep. with and, and, and fly on the sim, it's those kind of guys because that's what we need to practice before we get to the real thing. Actually, I was... Uh, you you won't be confronted with this for a while, but my son, there's probably another three years to go until he can get his his uh, a learner's driver's license in Victoria. And I'm actually going to put him on, mm-hmm. I've got a steering wheel set up and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to put him on a steering wheel set up with the gears and everything just to get him to understand yeah. this is the clutch and this is what it needs to do. Because I said, you must learn how to drive a manual car. And he thought it said, why? <laughs> You probably be driving electric cars, no gearboxes or anything. But um, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah I, by then. Uh, uh, tell me once, so you played on the simulator, and what was it like then transitioning to yep. the real thing? It was actually um, very easy to switch over because all the like, on mode one, so all the stick movements are all the same. Um, it's just you've got 
the environmental aspects to do with. So you've got the wind, you've got uh, the perception, so you've got fields, you've got fences maybe at either end of your flying field, you've got power lines. So it's just that deception and just understanding where the actual model is compared to where you're flying uh, off, like your, your runway, so to speak, or if you've got crops around you. I know a lot of our clubs are pretty remote and they've got like, farming land around. So it's just understanding and getting that perception right as well. I see like, uh, I guess, in um, like a lot of clubs here in SA, there's a, an older generation and they have that difficulty with the perception. Um, so that's, um, yeah, one of the biggest things is just yeah, getting your perception right as well for um, your finals and approach to landing. I have sometimes troubles with that. I have, I hit a tree with my 100cc, not the one you built, another one. <laughs> and it was a depth perception issue. I had my friend, the peanut gallery president, Dominic, next to me, and I said, have I cleared those trees? And then I hit, clipped the tree, and he said, no. I went, thank you. But um, <laughs> but in the actual, like your first flight with, with your Bixler or whatever plane it was, could you actually yeah. fly the plane? Could you, you know, comfortably pilot that plane around as a result of the work that you did on the simulator? Yep, comfortable flying around, doing circuits, um, doing approach for landings. Um, yeah, I couldn't say that I was like it was a terrible flight or anything like that. It's just um, yeah, like getting your power right, um, and obviously they've got a pretty good glide factor as well, giving them this foam and yeah. probably about two kilos as well. So um, yeah, and, and it's like a, a great plane to land on. Really, like there's so many out there now, like the Radians and that sort of stuff. It's just getting your foot in the door and, and learning and, and going from there. Yeah. Okay, so you got your Bixler and you, you played around with that, but no doubt you started to get bored of that pretty quick once you got got your head around the flying side. What was your next move after the Bixler? The next one, yes, yeah, so I completely missed the uh, the Nitro train and um, didn't go down that route, so I went straight to a Tiger 40 with a uh, Evolution 10cc. Um, so I went straight to two-stroke and... Um, gets yeah, no mixing uh, fuels or anything like that. It's just a two-stroke and off you go. So the Tiger 40 was the next one. Um, and then I was actually on that one for quite a while. So um, they're like a little, uh, quite a rocket with a little 10cc on the front. So that was my next one and flew that one, flew the wings off it. Not literally, but uh, just flat out all the time. And yeah. Um, that was the uh, the next one that I graduated from. <laughs> and then, like, so let's fast forward then because then you started to get into things such as aerobatic planes and jets and things like that. Let's, you know, how long... I consider you to be an aerobatics and a jets guy. Would I be correct in saying that? Yeah, I, I like the uh, the aerobatics and the... You keep referring to it. Jace has uh, <laughs> done the hobby. Yeah. Probably, uh, a lot of good over the last couple of years with his uh, extreme flight uh, um, flying. It's just unbelievable the uh, power and precision that he has with his flying. And I think uh, a lot of kids love that because it's just so exciting. You don't know what's going to happen next. And just the uh, the forces that he has on that plane, it's just unbelievable. So, um, yeah, I said I'd never get big planes. And then everyone says, oh, bigger flies are better. So then I got a, uh, went straight to a big 104-inch extreme flight extra. Um, still got that one today with the DLE 120, and that thing is just unbelievable. Um, even though it's not the version two with all the the carbon laminate in it and all that sort of stuff, it's just an amazing plane, really. And the... there's not well, there's not much different. That V1 versus V2 104 extra, 
there's not that much difference. It's just the carbon. Uh, this is what Chris Hinton from Extreme Flight told me. He said it's dropped a kilo because of the carbon they put in it and bigger ailerons. Yep. But besides that, the actual shape of the plane is exactly the same. Um, and I think over the last few years, there's been so many uh, competitions run with that um, that frame. It's just unbelievably stable. It just floats for days, and you, you just got to point it where you want, and it'll go there. It's just an amazing machine. Yeah. That one. <laughs> Look, a lot of those, a lot of those extreme flight know how to build an aerobatic plane. You know that. I know that. But they. Like you can't go wrong with almost any of their planes. The, the the plane that a lot of people are loving is actually the, the new laser, the one hundred four laser. Yep. And then hundred cc. Like uh, the feedback that I've got some from some really good pilots, you know, like Martin Bramwell and Sasha Jaconi and even Ido Sego flew the flew the laser, and and they thought that plane was phenomenal, absolutely. And phenomenal. I think uh, yeah, when Howie gets them in at DA Australia, they're. Uh... They don't last long on the shelf either, so no. they're a, um, a great plane. And they although, are. like, you're looking at high end, um, high price tag, but like you've spoken to other people on your podcast, you get what you pay for at the end of the day. So um, you can put as much money as you, you want into the hobby, or you can just stay with your um, your entry level or your middle range stuff. But for these guys that um, uh, yeah want to start doing the iMac or um, some competition stuff, then yeah, you got to spend a bit of money into a hobby like anything. Golf's no different. If you pay big fees, it's probably no different. Um, but yeah, these uh, the planes that they're coming out with, even from Pilot RC these days, it's just um, the carbon laminate in them and um, their power to weight ratio is just unbelievable. Yeah, I think the I always say to whenever when I, when I spent some time with Jace and I've you know spoken to him on the phone and all that kind of stuff, I go, it's always your it's your fault, Jace. You created this <laughs> and. That 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 the new technology, the new generation of planes is allowing that more aggressive style of flying to happen. But you know, with your one hundred four extra, how long have you owned that now? Um, I've had that oh, probably about four or five years. So, yes, yeah, um, I have this theory. Um, and it started went back when I used to sell three D hobby shop planes, and that is that everyone would think that people that are into aerobatics and freestyle flying and all that kind of stuff are going to be crashing all the time. Mm-hmm. And I hardly sold any spare parts. Like in all the aeroplanes that I sold, the only things now and again was maybe um, someone had a bad landing and needed some wheel pants and some and some undercarriage. But once in a blue moon, I'd get asked if I had one wing. It was literally two twice I think I was asked out of hundreds of planes whether I needed a wing or a canopy or a, you know I used to I used to stock cows spare cows wheel pants and 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 landing gear as being the main damage points but you buy these planes and the it's, people just like seem to not crash in one and hold on to them for a long time now how reliable is that plane like why has it lasted four years? Is it because you're not flying it or you're not flying hard enough or what? Partially, but to both. Yeah. <laughs> With two young kids. But uh, I guess, like everyone says, the bigger it actually flies better. They float. Um, when coming into landing, you can back off like, a long way away and, and just yeah. start doing your finals and they just come in so gentle. Um, but, yeah, it's just like the, um, the wheel pants is uh, they're like vibrating right on the end of the um, – the undercarriage, yeah. but uh, and like for the longer grass fields or all that sort of stuff, but um, like those carbon undercarriage, um, they've got like a little bit of spring in them. But you actually, for a 12 13 kilo plane, they actually come in very light, and it's just unbelievable how they 
and just float in. You just they pretty much just land themselves, really. But um, I'm not a uh, professional extreme flyer or anything like that, so um, it doesn't have a extreme <laughs> extreme stress put through that frame at all. But do you know it's interesting that you say that because it's something that I used to say. People just say to me, "Oh, I don't really fly that freestyle aerobatics kind of stuff," and I used to say to them. This plane, these aerobatic planes from these these top brands are designed to actually fly well. It doesn't mm. matter whether you're flying circuits, doing aggressive um, 3D maneuvers, flying slow, they're actually designed to fly really well. And I always say to people that the easiest plane for me to fly is an aerobatic plane because even if I'm just trundling around doing circuits, but like you said, coming into land, the, end, the, 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 the margin for error in one of those airframes seems to be a lot greater than say flying a warbird and and i know there's a there's a guy tony wilson that listens to this this podcast has been sending me messages and he said oh i had a go at warbirds he was only joking and he showed me his beautiful photo of this uh this warbird that he's just building but it's much harder to fly uh, to land a warbird than it is an aerobatic plane and uh, i think that's why a lot of the the good aerobatic planes that are that are designed well just seem to last a long time because they just ha- they're harder to crash. Yeah. But the other the others I, I was going to get into the get into this later, but I want to talk about it now that we're talking about quality. The other thing that I've noticed is okay, I'm going to ask you this question and hear, hear from you. When you bought that extreme flight plane, did you you bought it brand new, didn't you? And yep. Built it. Yep. Yep. Okay. When you made that decision to do to build to to, to build that project, what was your mindset in regards to the gear that you wanted to use? Um, there was um, a couple of others at the flying club where I was uh, flying um, and I'd seen them um, and the quality behind them and no, like, they didn't need to upgrade any hardware or anything like that. They was straight out of the box, put your electronics in, your motor and go fly. So there was no needing to go buy extra push rods or horns or um, upgrade the axles or anything like that. It was straight out of the box. You get decent hardware and you go fly, um, and that was like a big selling point. Like I don't want to have to replace everything and and go through it and upgrade all the parts. It's just it's just wasting your time, really. At the end of the day, so you want kits to come out with quality hardware, and I think most of the um the kits these days is they're all par. They're all great hardware in them. Um, everything lines up, and you put your own equipment in and you go fly. And, um, that keeps people in the hobby because they're not having to repair every weekend, upgrading parts and all that sort of stuff. So that's a good point as well. Tell me a bit about like the running gear and the choice of running gear. Because I'm interested to know like what were you thinking when it came to spending the money on on servos and, and things like that? Yeah, so I've got um, Savox servos in my um, the big extra. Um, so it's all about, um, there's, like, there's so many Facebook groups these days and people doing reviews and, um, feedback and that sort of stuff and you can actually you pick up on what works well in planes and what doesn't um, engine choices there's not like heaps out there at the moment um, like you get your good um, handful um, but yeah it's it's the hardware that you put into it as well so if you're going to spend um, what 1500 bucks on a, an airframe and then you're going to put maybe $40 servos in obviously it's not going to you might get flutter and that sort of stuff, but if you actually put your time into it and do a bit of research and make sure your servos um, are matched to the airframe um, torque and kilo-wise, um, then there's no reason why that plane can't last for many years, really. Yeah, no, I agree, and that, uh, I'm I'm I subscribe to the philosophy of buy 
buy less but buy buy well you know it's like we don't most of us don't have an unlimited budget to spend on on the hobby and so you can make a choice you can buy a lot of rubbish and then be constantly trying to hope that the plane stays together and and doing maintenance on it and replacing parts or buy less so spend more and get something that's really good and fit it out with good quality gear because again through my experience and you're experiencing this with your extreme flight plane and, and with other planes that you've got that once you buy a good plane and put good gear in it you just go and fly mm. like i can grab any one of my good planes my aerobatic planes and i have a hundred percent confidence in the reliability of them and yep. when you talk to someone like jace and especially jace Ducey's dad john and who builds a lot of the planes they have a very very simple philosophy simple setups with good quality gear and when you when you ask them, do you have any problems with um, your spectrum radios? No, we don't have. No, we don't, we never have any problems. Have any problems with your MKS servos? No, we don't have any problems with MKS servos. What about your DA one twenty? No, don't have any problems with it. And, and and like I think you and I are the same that we've we've learnt from seeing other people's experiences and we've done the research, which is, I think is another big tip to to do the research. So um, even like um yeah like uh. With those airframes, um, uh, like Chris has put a lot of time and effort into those parts because like, most people, like you see on Facebook groups and forums and that sort of stuff, people complain a lot, a lot about the um, some of the hardware that you used to get um, back in the day. But I think that's been uh, tidied up a lot recently, um, and it's been improved because yeah, people don't want to wrench around and um, fix their planes every week, and they actually just want to put it in the trailer, in the car, and go fly. So. Um, I think that uh, that area of the game has picked up as well. Well, I think it's it's like um, it's like full size flying. You'd hate to think that you know Boeing are using uh, the cheapest component that they could get to put in a plane that hopefully, fingers crossed, will work. That they're actually striving to build something that's going to be safe and reliable. And I think having that approach to our model aeroplanes actually gives us a better return on our investment. Mm-hmm. And that return on investment I consider to be we spend money and we get fun out of it, right? So it I, I don't know about you. Yeah, we'll get into your building and you do like building, but I'm, I just don't have time for building it. Actually, you're not going to have a lot of time building the way your family <laughs> life's going. But the last thing I want to be doing is mucking around with engines that aren't working and uh, wheels that won't stay on and hinges that keep on falling off and all this kind of stuff. I just don't want any of that. It's just yeah. it's pain for me to do that. I've got better ways to spend my time kind of thing. I'd rather build a new plane than have to maintain something that should have been okay after five flights kind of thing. But yeah, and you apart. touched on it the other day with um, your interview with Howie and um, the quality behind the DA engines that, their feedback. Nobody wants to be fiddling with uh, needles every weekend and tuning and that sort of stuff. So that's where they've put the time and money into designing something that you flick it, same as your engine that sat around for five or six years, you flick it three times and it starts. Um, and that's what people look for these days as well. Do you know what I did on the weekend? I, 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 I had to do some maintenance. And one of my 30ccs that I've had for oh, five or six years now, and um, I had to fl- hadn't haven't started it for over a year, so it took a bit of flipping to get the fuel up to the up to the motor. So I've, I then I almost tore my f- a muscle in my forearm and my shoulder, <laughs> and I was in pain for days after. I thought this is terrible. I'm not happy with. There's that a story engine, behind actually. that as well that I've got for you. Oh, <laughs> uh, what now? Go tell me. 
Well, that's why I've gone to Jets because flicking props is just yes. old school, right? Ah, <laughs> oh, tell you what, people, this whole jet. Oh, I talk about the jet movement all the time, but but that it's such a big thing to not have to flick props just to press a button and it starts. Which yes, you can get some sort of starting mechanism for you know your your, your gas um, engines and stuff, but it means you've got to carry extra battery, just and extra weight. Cows, and, that kind and then of they get ugly. Yeah. Like starter motors hanging out. <laughs> yeah. So it's not, it's not the greatest solution at this point in time. Maybe at some point in time, they might think of a, a better way to do it. But, but um, yeah, that jet thing is, it, oh, I did not realize how simple it was. That's why I did a video on it. On, yeah. On I watched your video. They're um, unbelievable machines. <laughs> It does sound like I knew what I was talking about because remember, I've never actually flown a jet yet, but you know, I'm self proclaimed expert. That's all right, everyone's an expert in something. Well, I wanted to share my experience of, of getting a jet and getting my head around the jet, which came when I actually physically got it in my hands, looked inside, and went and joined all the dots. Oh, that goes there, which drives that, which that pumps that, and this does this. And even with retract, because I've got a pneumatic retract system just working all that, oh no, okay, I get it, it just comes together so quickly, and then. The ease of it. Now, talk, let's talk about jets, right? So, at what point in time did you make the jump to jets? Because it's a pretty big. We know the financial commitment we're going to make to have a jet, but at what point in your flying in your hobby did you get make the move to jets? Yeah, there was a um, couple of guys flying. Um, uh, one of them was uh, Mike O'Reilly's old kangaroo, which you talked about as well with uh, Mike back in um, a few weeks ago. So you have um, been listening to my podcast. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, and there was another uh, Excalibur at the club and watching those guys and hearing those and the smell that you get from it, it's just unbelievable. It's, I tell some people that uh, it's probably the pinnacle of model, uh, model aerosport is flying and, and controlling these jets. They're just unbelievable. The power behind them, um, the technology in them is just unbelievable. I said it's just like... A full-size tur- turbine is just shrunk down and it's just shoved into a uh, jet frame, and that's it, pretty much. Like I said we run them on the same fuel um, with some turbine oil for lube, um, and everything else is yeah. You just <laughs> it's so much easier. Yeah, they are now, and and so basically, you you saw some people flying at the club. Yep. That first time you you flew a jet. This is something that I'm I'm getting right in my mind leading up to me. It's because I'm in Victoria, Ash, which means that we're not allowed to move outside of our little bubble. Yeah. <laughs> by the time this this podcast comes out, actually, we may be able to. So I'm recording this probably a week and a bit ahead of schedule. But uh, what was it like, that first flight of a turbine jet? I was shaking, to be honest. It's because it's, it's maybe five, six, seven grand in the air. You don't know what can happen. Um it's only as good as the parts you put in them, right? So although I can put in $1,000 worth of uh, electronics and servos and receiver, at the end of the day, something hardware could happen or you don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's a lot of money you're putting into the air and trust and that sort of thing, but um, you'll be shaking. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, it's it, The only thing, like taking off the plane and flying around, I'm not, overly fussed about i've got a viper jet so it's not gonna be overly hard i don't don't think being a sport jet but the landing yeah what was i think for me it's the landing that is always the problem and and i think i've mentioned this in a previous podcast because i fly a lot of aerobatic planes which as you know are so easy to land every other plane doesn't land like an aerobatic plane you know you can float them in just chop the throttle and bring it in it's just so easy you don't have to think about it 
with the jet, did you find that, you know, did you have to abort the landing approaches at any time or you know, what were the landings like, those, those first few flights? Yeah, my first jet was a uh, boomerang land. So it's a twin boom, a little bit bigger than the um, Excalibur. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's also um, very forgiving as well. So um, although it was my first flight and I was shaking and like, oh hell, um, actually <laughs> creamed it in and it was uh, probably a nine out of ten. Um, oh, really? Yeah, it's just, if you take it up high, you trim it out, you just do some circuits, just get used to your, um, the little bit of lag that you have from coming like up from idle to full throttle. So it's just that. So you've just got to make sure that if you do need to go around, there's no fences at the end of your field and all that sort of stuff, all that, all, all that sort of thing so you can pull out. Um, but yeah, they... Uh, and most of the jets these days, they just—they're also like a, um, a big plane because they've got that um, that weight behind them. They're actually very stable, and, and they also float in as well. Like, um, yeah, that land just was very easy to fly um, and land as well. Just floated in, just backed off. I put it back to idle before my um, finals, and then just let it sink down, um, and then just that little flare at the bottom and um, apply your brakes. But um, yeah, that was. For a first jet flight, it was just uh, unbelievable, and the thrill and the uh, the power that you got behind you—it's just a, a great I'm thrill. Getting excited. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever flown an EDF jet? No, I've never gone down the EDF route. So, um, yeah, went straight from the electric to gas to to turbine. <laughs> I've skipped the uh, yeah. the EDF. I've had like electric planes. Like I've had a few others, and apart from the big club, but yeah, skipped the EDF route as well. It was interesting because well, I, I the reason why I asked that is because I wonder how similar flying an EDF jet would be to a turbine. Okay, the turbine's going to have more power and noise and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> generally bigger. But uh, I got a I got given a Viper jet when I had the magazine um, uh, for review, one of the E flight Viper jets, and it was the first EDF that I'd ever flown, and everyone said, "Oh, there's a bit of lag in in the acceleration," and there was a little bit, but I, I actually became very accustomed to it very, very quickly. I never had a problem. I was, I was doing perler of landings with that plane, but okay, it's an EDF foamy. You put drop the flaps on the single, just it was just unbelievable. The land it was so easy. Mm-hmm. But um, it'd be interesting to see what that that transition is like um, between that that EDF. But it's still the same, you, yeah, it's still the same concept. Like you just don't have that um, that prop wash going straight over the yes. ailerons to keep you up. So there's no um. Uh, prop hanging or anything like that, unless you've got thrust vectoring. But um, yeah, you've you've always got that power there. But yeah, you just have to think. All right, if this landing is uh, or this approach is too long, and I'm going to go over the runway, um, then just power up early. That's probably the the one thing is just power up early and pull out and get out of it and just get back into mm. your circuit, go around, and then just uh, yeah, calm your nerves and have another crack. It's but yeah, it's just understanding that um, that little bit of lag that you do have. Um, so it does pull out. Yeah. Now you've so you had the the um, the land jet, didn't you? And that yep. was that was they're they're really nice. They're beautiful um, twin boom jets. What did you, what did you go to after that? After that, I went straight to a uh, sport jet, which was a Top RC Odyssey. Which um, there's quite a few getting around in Australia at the yeah. moment. Um, there's a few in Perth uh, and a couple on the um, the other coast as well. Um, I haven't seen too many in Melbourne, but um, where uh, Dragon RC is, but uh, yeah, that's a lovely flying jet as well. Um, 
and I only sold that one to upgrade to another jet, so otherwise I'd still have that one. So I had a, uh, a 140 in that one, and that one was like a rocket, so they're really sleek. Um, there's uh, Lior flying uh, one in Israel, um, and the stuff that he's doing with that and um, the Gs that he's pulling is just unbelievable for that jet as well, which is, um, yeah, a sport jet, but um, like you're not paying massive amounts of uh, dollars for it, um, but the the build quality and what the guys are doing overseas with them is uh, very good for a sport jet, I think. Yeah, the top RC jets are really getting quite popular. Dragon RC down here in Melbourne uh, sell them, and um, their price points are quite good. Yeah, and um, the quality is quite good. So yeah, they're they're getting um they're really really popular. Did you own a Viper jet at one point in time? No, I didn't have a Viper. So another oh, you had a friend big, had, you a had a Viper. big plane. What was the big jet you had? Um, the current a... one I've got now is a L thirty nine, which is a Baja Hobbies L thirty nine. So that's uh, got a I've got a 200 jet months in that one, so, oh, so uh, 20, 20 kilos of uh, thrust. Um, so I've got that dialed down to 160, um, and I've only had four flights on that one, um, and I've, that was a build during COVID um, at the start of the year. Um, and, yeah, just made that a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a couple of months ago, at um, the Brossa Jet Day. Um, and for a, uh, a 15 grand jet, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> it's so good. And I've only had four flights on it and I love it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what's funny how you started this by saying, oh, I never saw myself getting into bigger planes than having a trailer. And then we're now talking about a, a turbine that's worth a fortune with a, a 200 size turbine in it. We're talking about some serious kit. Did you, I saw a thing on Facebook today. Have you seen this post going around of, some video, something of a guy, $75,000 L39 yeah, model jet. Yeah, I saw that one. Yes, I'm scared to look at the video because I'll probably want one. <laughs> nah, it's too big. It's too big. I couldn't I couldn't fly it. I, I, like, I've got a jet because I got my jet at a really good price and yeah. otherwise I probably wouldn't have a jet. But um, yeah, oh, $75,000 plane. Imagine flying that. Look, you can go and buy a, you can go and buy a full-size plane for, for less than that. Mm. That's, just, that's, just, that's just scary. Yeah, and then uh, another jet I've recently got. If you want to stay on the jet theme, is oh, a. No. Uh, <laughs> this is only a new one in my in my hangar, but um, haven't uh, made it yet. But it's a. Uh, I think it's a third hand. So it come from um, New South Wales from Harley. I don't know if you know Harley up there. An old Mac pilot. Harley, um, well, that's the one. Um, so here they CM models out of Italy. Say uh, Air Mackie M three four six. Oh, they're cool. And um, the lines on that and uh, just the quality in that jet as well, it's um, unbelievable. For a third-hand jet, there's not a mark on it. Um, and I've got a uh, 140 jet months in that as well and uh, hopefully made in that one uh, in a couple of weeks or so. So, um, yeah, I've got uh, – I've had to trim the fleet a little bit to uh, – these jets just keep growing in size. And, yes. Uh, I've got <laughs> about to make some room in the shed. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, the other thing, Ash, since you're a young guy with young kids, school fees will be coming up and creeping up on you uh, sooner or later. And so you need to save your pennies, okay? Or rob a bank, one of the two. Uh, you just need to be mindful of school fees. That's my words of wisdom. Uh, lucky the, the wife is a school teacher then, isn't it? Ah, <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> the, the family discount. Can we do homeschooling <laughs> or something? Yeah, yeah, well, I'll tell you what, at the... Ash, we've been doing homeschooling over here in Victoria for a while. My kids have have hardly been to school this year. I don't I don't think they've learned anything except how to play Minecraft uh, 
better than they were, but it's uh, well, daughter's back and uh, the sun goes back shortly, but it's been pretty bad over here. Like you're talking about maidening planes. I've got five models ready to go that I <laughs> need to be maiden. I can't build anymore. It's just there's enough. I just need to go out and fly them now. So hopefully uh, we're going to get there. But uh, as I said, we're recording this pre uh, pre an announcement. So hopefully uh, in the coming weeks or so. Free. Yeah. So when it comes to these jets, what are you looking for? Like, do you have a do you have a a certain type of jet that you like? You know, whether it be a sporty kind of thing or more of a fighter. Like, where where where's your uh, passion? Um, I love the scale jet. So before the um after the uh, uh Odyssey, I had a um Flight Eagle Hawk. Um, so that one was third hand as well. So that one had been uh, from Dominic down in Victoria, um, up to Mildura with uh, another friend up there, and then over to me. So. That one had a, uh, it was 14 years old, I reckon. So that's the one I um, did a swap with for Harley for the um, Air Mackie. Um, uh, and that was a, um, although it was like quite old, but it was like built strong and really solid. Um, and that had a few like wheels up landings and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, that one was still flying. Um, and then obviously I went to the uh, the big L39 and now the uh, 346. But those scale jets, just the um, the detail on them um, is unbelievable. And um, yeah, I've started. Uh, I've just put a um, Boom RC light kit in my uh, L39. It did come with one, but I've just upgraded it. So it's just once you get this that scale bug, it's just like it's, it's a bit addictive. It's just adding all these details, yeah. and I've got some um, some oil-based paints coming from uh, the UK to do the uh, the weathering on it and that sort of stuff. So although I'm in my builds, you'll see that they're, um, I'm so fussy and clean. Now I want to make this plane dirty. It's unbelievable. Yeah. No, that, look, it, it, it actually adds to it, I think. As long as you don't go overboard with the weathering, some people just you know get a bit heavy-handed. But what's the scheme you've got on an L39? Um, it's a camo scheme. So, okay, yeah, um, yeah, it's the two greys and the black and the white. So, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think BVM, it's almost the same as the BVM, um, and it's probably BVM's uh, most popular um, scheme at the moment, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, once you... Because there was two of these L-39s that come into Australia, so another friend in Victoria, Clark, he got one, um, and he's weathered his up, and it's unbelievable. It actually looks so good. Um, so I was like, no, nah, I'm going to do that to mine as well, even though I like a clean plane and... And that fussy side, it's just that, that detail. And once you start going to events and you can see the, the time and the effort that people put into these planes, it's, um, yeah, it's unbelievable. Now, let's talk a bit about building because uh, you do enjoy building. And, and I reached out to you via Marty Morgan about you know building a model for me because you were you actually started doing it professionally a bit on the side, didn't you? Yeah, so I've always had, like, back in my school days, I always wanted to be a builder, even though it never happened, and I ended up a, uh, in IT. But, yeah, always loved the building side and, um, and uh, yeah, just keeping it simple, really. Um, like, you see, you open up these cockpits on some models and there's wires and there's things everywhere and there's um, receivers just hanging there and not strapped down. It's, and these, these planes can damage property and people and that sort of stuff it's just some care needs to be taken but um 
yeah, the uh, the building bug uh, took hold, and I really enjoy building. Um, obviously, once the kids are down in bed, jump out in the shed for a, a couple of hours, or <laughs> lose track of time and come in at, in the uh, early wee hours. But um, yeah, just the uh, putting these planes together and taking your time and um, yeah, putting a bit of effort into them and, and making them stand out. Although no one sees it when it's in the sky, but when you take the cockpit off and it's so easy to find things, if you've got a drama, um, you can easily resolve it. You've, all your cables are laid out, um, all your like your air tubes and your jets, if you've got your um, air retracts and that sort of thing, it just makes it so much easier to actually diagnose a problem and resolve it so quickly. That's true. Uh, like, It's a bit like the same reason why racing cars are always kept really, really clean. And so they, it's easy for you to identify the problem if there's a, oil slick, you know, in the middle yeah. of everything or, you know, a cable's burned out or something like that. But uh, so you, you are, you, like, the plane that you built for me is extremely clean inside. I could never build build to that level. What are some of your sort of building tips and things that you've learnt along the way in, say, you know, assembly of some of these um, these models? Um, probably the uh, good friend uh, in uh, Brisbane, so um, Richo. His uh, work is amazing. So I uh, flew with him last year at uh, Wangaratta um, Jet Meet um, and just watching the way that he, well, it's like a craft what he does. It's unbelievable how neat and tidy um, and there's so many like little cool uh, gadgets on the market that you can get from DA Australia that make um, like setting up your plane easy and, and, and clean. It's just uh there's lots of little uh, things on the market that um, you can use, and um, being on all these Facebook groups, you can and people posting like build threads and all that sort of stuff. It's actually really good, and uh, you can see what works well, what doesn't. Same as like when I rebuilt my trailer, like I, I was looking on some uh, Facebook groups at uh, in the US as a trailer build group, um, and it's actually understanding what what other people think and works well and what doesn't. And it's just applying that to your plane really, and and keeping your electronics simple and and that sort of thing as well. What's interesting actually is because you're a younger guy than you know, you're getting on in years, but you're a younger guy than than a lot of the people that I've had on the podcast, really, except for some of the young bucks. But um, <laughs> the your experience of getting into the hobby is probably different to a lot of people that are older that were grew up without the internet. Yeah, and the internet that meant that you know. The internet meant that you could learn about a lot of stuff very quickly and there were resources to go to to learn how to build a model better, what gear to use, and things such as forums, build forums that didn't exist. The build yeah. forum was hanging around at the flying club whilst Barry told you about how he built his model airplane. Mm-hmm. And so, so word was spread very, very slowly. I used to love reading magazines. I still love magazines, absolutely love reading magazines. But... um. But I used to read Airborne magazine and that's how I was learning. But, you know, just about what was around and that kind of thing. But um, it's being a younger guy and growing up in that internet age, Do you could you imagine not having the internet and being able to do it and what it was like? I guess it would be completely different. Like... Um, uh... You can't see what other people are doing. You're just going on what you see at the local club or your friends or that sort of thing. Whereas once you get a lot of varied people and um, and that sort of thing on the internet, 
Um, obviously, everyone does everything different, but you can actually uh, um, yeah get an understanding of what works well, what doesn't. And there's like hundreds of people that have been around longer than me um, doing the hobby, obviously. But uh, and I'm only coming into it re relatively uh, new. But um, yeah, it's just I guess I've being in IT and that sort of thing, and um, yeah, use your uh, use the internet to your to your um, Advantage. Advantage, yeah, that's right. And um, and look at these pictures and um, yeah, learn from others as well. It's a great way to uh, pick up on things. I, I I think that the build. It's interesting to see where, where things are going, even on the internet. That um, uh, go back fifteen years and forums were really big. You know, uh, pre the rise of Facebook and things like that. And and the forums, how they were, they were well supported and i feel that some of the forums nowadays it's, just, it's the same old people talking about the same old stuff and thinking that the world revolves around them but it's only four people on a in, in a group having a chat about something you know especially the, i laugh at the ones that get create forum groups that to, to bag their local flying association or something like that thinking hey boys you're all just there's four of you you're all just trying to prove to each other that you're right, but nobody's listening and nobody cares because there's only four of you in this group. <laughs> the build forums are really, really good. But now with the rise of Facebook and Facebook groups, and then I think the next thing is YouTube. I think there's still – you look at people like Martin Pickering, whose YouTube channel is awesome. And and yeah. I, I, if you want to learn something, go to Martin Pickering's YouTube channel and you're going to learn something about his building and, and he's sharing his experience even – the latest um, couple of videos or something that Extreme Flight put up with um, John and Jace Ducia going through their planes and stuff like that. I've watched it from start to finish because I want. I was really interested. So this idea of now you can even, someone can show you how to do it and show mm. you what the model should look like inside and all this kind of stuff, I think is um, the next generation of, of content that, uh, but they're really hard to do. Like when I see how Martin does some of his build videos, not only are you, building the plane the model and thinking about that but you're now thinking about how to film it as well and i can tell you now being in video production ad is just i don't think i could do it because i'm a man are you are you messy when you build or you clean um, like when i mean messy i'm like fussy, you're <laughs> no, I'm, oh, fussy. <laughs> I'm hopeless I, i'm ho i i'm i'm so into getting the job done that I'll end up with tools everywhere and i'm just i'm hopeless i, I can't do it any other way I like it easy with your, yeah, your bench laid out. You can easily get to your tools, your glues, um, thread lockers and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you're not fumbling around and dropping tools and where'd my little two mil hex head driver go? <laughs> see, I don't have the space. That's my biggest problem is I just don't, you see, you have to have room to build. And I live in a townhousey kind of place here in Melbourne and I've got a single car garage and my trailer's in there. Yeah. So guess what? Every time <laughs> I want to work on my planes, I've got to pull the trailer out. And then it's almost like if I build, bring a plane into the house, I'm on the kitchen bench. Oh, dear. Yeah. And so can you imagine every time you want to build, you have to pull everything out. You've got to pull the trailer out, pull the gear that you want out, go into the kitchen bench, do what you need to do, and then you have to pack it all up. And then you got to cook dinner? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> When I first started, I was on the actually uh, on the dining table because I didn't have a uh, double garage or double shed. Sorry, but um, I was on the dining table as well until I got kicked out. 
Yeah, no. And I, 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 I literally keep on racking my brains of how I can create some space or where can I create some space so that I could have a, a building area. But there's literally no room. But I, I, I've, got a, I've got another house up in the country and I've got long-term plan of putting like a something in the backyard, like my own little studio workshop kind of area where I can sit and bumble away with in peace and quiet with a nice view and some kookaburras laughing at me or something. <laughs> I'll pop, you know what? I'll probably turn that into the biggest pigsty I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's like my, I'm one of those guys that can't keep my desk clean because my head, it's, it's actually my desk resembles my brain. It's a mess. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, now, the other thing, the other point of having you on this line is that I'm trying to get around and have guests from all around the country. And I'm doing a good job. I've had quite a number from Queensland, uh, New South Wales. I've got, I've got oh, yeah, a few from New South Wales. I've been up and got uh, my mate Ray Younger up in Northern Territory. And I need you to wave the flag for South Australia and educate all of us in Australia and also those people that listen overseas. And a big shout out to people that are listening abroad. I know that there are people listening from abroad because I see the data. Uh, but what's the flying scene like in South Australia? Yeah, in SA, it's um, really strong at the moment, obviously, with the um, issues currently going on in the world. But uh, obviously, SA has been uh, quite good and flying has been back for uh, oh, a couple of months now. Um, and events are starting to happen. Although they don't have um, a lot of public and um, like it's a roped off area around the pilots and the jets and that sort of stuff or the planes, uh, um, yet yeah, the events are actually happening again. So that's positive. Um, and then in SA, it's actually uh, quite strong at the moment. Um, the MAAA and Mass have purchased a few fields here. Um, so they're actually, yeah, now owned um, by Massa. Um, and then leased to the actual clubs as a, um, a holder. Um, so there's quite a few of those in SA at the moment. Um, and actually, like, the member growth is uh, is quite stable at the moment. And I think it's even, I uh, don't know what it's like this year, but I think it's actually gone up over the last couple of years as well. Um, so I know a lot of the clubs have done a lot of publicity to get people to um, some of the events. And some of the events, um, there's a big one, the uh, Civil and Scale Day, down at uh, the Nolonga Club down south of Adelaide. Um, and that, although this year I don't think they're having any uh, public at that event, but that, um, that event on a Sunday, um, yeah, generates enormous funds for the club. And the spectators that they get through the gate is, uh, is unbelievable. Last year um, I was there and it was a, uh, quite a warm day, but, um, yeah, the amount of people that they got there, um, just from some uh, publicity in the paper and um on facebook it's just getting that word out there and and like they those uh during the lunchtime break they uh invite all the kids out to build the um uh the m triple a uh chuck planes and have a contest and it just gets the kids involved and um yeah there's always a range of planes due to it being a civil and scale day you get the civil planes you get the scale guys um there's a few jets there um so it just gives an actual overview of the hobby as well. And um, yeah, that's a, a great event down the south of Adelaide. I love those events because I even, I love to attend those kind of events because it's entertaining even if you're in the hobby to see the variety of models. I always, I, I love that, you know, like, yes, I'm into aerobatics and gliders and I've got the jet and all that kind of stuff. But 
I love going to an event where there's there's a bit of everything, a warbird and tiger moths flying around and cubs and you name it. That variety really like is just great to see. And those display days, uh, oh, that's what we need. This is what this is what our hobby needs. It needs those kind of events where the public can come and we can showcase it and and you can do it in a structured way uh, as well to make sure that you're taking the audience on a journey and educating at the same time. You know, have you know, commentator that's talking through the models and the different types of models so that people learn and keep everybody entertained. Yeah, so it's great to see. And I think is is that the one that Marty Morgan does in demo has done demo flights at? Um, I don't know if Marty's been to uh, the Nolunga event, um, but yeah, he's been to a few others where he does his uh, lunchtime demo and just blows everyone away with his. Uh, smoke 3d work <laughs> and the smoke and whatever but um yeah like even uh the brossa um club had a uh, jet meet um a couple of months ago and even with the like the limited um uh, exposure that that had that still generated over the two days the uh, saturday and the sunday um a normal amount of people through the gate as a specific jet day so there was no other planes there it was just a jet day but the people that they got out there to um through the gate to have a look, it was just uh, like awesome to see the uh, the people, and that was just like um, word of mouth. Um, it was put on Facebook and that sort of thing, but and the like the the club put on like the barbecue and that sort of stuff, and um, although it doesn't generate heaps of money, but it's still an income for the club to uh, to make and and to, like given this how this year's gone, it's just uh, obviously not the greatest, but. Just to have those a uh, couple hundred people through the gate over the couple of days, just to um, watch some jets, it's good to see. Yeah. No. How many how many clubs do you reckon there are in South Australia? Like, are there many fields or? Yeah, we've got quite a few over here. Um, don't know the number off the top of my head, but um, like there's uh, quite a few down south. Um, there's some around the city, um, and then just north of the city we've got another four or five clubs as well and then you've got some in the riverland um as well so um and then like the regional ones in sa as well so pinaroo and pinaroo which they had their fun fly a couple of weekends i couldn't go due to uh my son's birthday but um yeah that always pulls a uh, great yeah. crowd as well those those regional clubs they do it tough but when they advertise a fun fly everyone's keen to jump on board and go out there and help them that's what i think i, I... To be honest, when I view, I've been to the Pinaroo event uh, a couple of times, and it's a bit of a drive from Melbourne. Marty keeps on telling me, "Come on, come to Pinaroo," but it, it's, <laughs> it's 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 a, it's a big drive. It's eight hours there um, and back. Of course, it's not eight, so you got to make a, a long weekend of it in a kind of way. But the when I view the flying scene in South Australia, it just seems like it's a friendly environment. I, I could yeah. be wrong because I haven't experienced a lot of it, but I just get the feel that people just get along and they just enjoy the hobby and enjoy being surrounded by other people that enjoy the hobby as well. Yep. And there's also like that, that range of planes as well that you get with those, um, uh, like the variety of people from all the way from like kids that have all their trainers and that sort of stuff or just new into the hobby up to the, the guys like Mark O'Reilly that's been in it for 45 years or so that's, um, yeah, you got that knowledge and understanding and willing to help anyone as well. Um, if you've got a question, then they're always willing to help you out or, or get you into the hobby as well. It's quite good over here. Yeah, good good gliding scene over there as well. Yeah, yeah. gliding over here is really good. Same with um, uh, slope soaring. Um, yes. There's lots of places over here, and 
every weekend there's a few specific like SA slope soaring um, groups on Facebook and every weekend there's pictures and pictures and pictures of their uh, out for the weekend and um, yeah, the many slope soaring uh, sites in SA. So, so basically what we are talking about is aero modelling heaven in South Australia. <laughs> you should come over here, get out your bubble. Don't... Oh, as I said, we I might be out of my bubble now as I uh, you know as this goes to air, but uh, currently I can't move out of my five kilometers. I actually, I, this is how bad it's getting, right? So I, the bubble is the problem. The five kilometer radius from the house is is the issue. And so the other day on the weekend, I I worked out how far away is my my flying club that I'm a member of, and because I'm thinking, oh, maybe he might change it, the regulation, so you've got twenty kilometer radius. Well, 20 kilometers wasn't enough. So I kept thinking, okay, 30 kilometer radius, that wasn't enough. I got to, it had to be over 45 kilometers or something radius from my house for me to get to my flying club. And I thought, well, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but we'll wait. I think there's too much pressure. So hopefully, uh, I, uh, as this goes to air, I'm, I'm fueling up my plane ready to go for a fly or something. But, uh, but I've, I've seen the pictures of uh, your flying field. The guys that are within 5Ks are keeping it immaculate. The grass is oh. so green. I've. <laughs> The Packenham Club that I'm a member of, uh, Craig Fitzsimon there is doing a phenomenal job. But this guy is in love with the grass. <laughs> he he looks at me and the passion in his in his voice when he tells me, I'm going to make these strips the best strips that anybody has ever seen. Like I, I told him, I said, mate, you've got to come to the Sale Club, which is out Gippsland Way here in Victoria, very far east. And I said, go and have a look at what they've done there. Their grass is like a bowling green because they have a lot of you know jet guys there and stuff, and they want a nice strip and whatever. But it's phenomenal. And he yeah. said, oh, I've got to go and have a look. But he's uh, it helps that he's got a bit of experience working with grass. He, he's been working at a, at a um, horse racing track, maintaining grass and stuff. So uh, he's done a great job. The problem with that field is it can flood in winter and stuff when we get some big downpours. <laughs> and so that's uh, maintaining the field. It can be quite tricky with with the water buildup. But it was flooded early this year, but uh, it's looking absolutely awesome and I'm just ready to get there and go flying. Problem is that every, every man and his dog's going to be out there at the same time. <laughs> yeah, even the, the majority of the clubs around Australia at the moment, they're actually looking very pristine and um, even the uh, like the local government uh, grants or um, funding from MAAA or your local um, state body um, to improve your field as well. Um, it's just great to see. Um, so, like, they're improving, like, the fencing or um, the fields or the facilities as well or the kitchen cooking yeah. areas and that sort of thing. And that's what brings people in. Like, nobody wants to rock up to a a, a paddock with a um, white line down the middle and a toilet in, uh, out behind the tree or something like that. So it's, it's bringing that family environment in as well. I think that, yeah, I'm a big believer of that as well. I think that... You can tell those clubs that take pride in their surroundings, um, and you know, like I was talking to a bloke up at the Utrecht Club here in Victoria, and he's saying, "Oh yeah, they've put some concrete now down underneath the pit. They they built a like a a little sort of shelter pit area, sheltered pit area kind of thing, but they still sort of had just some matting down on the ground, and now they've moved to you know poured some concrete, and little things like that just changes the experience of going there, like." Undercover shaded pit area is so good. It's yeah. you just take it for granted when we when you're at a club that has it. But you know, I've been a member of clubs where they don't have it, and everything just gets hot. You know, like in the summer, you know, the, yeah, your covering starts to shrivel up, and 
and you get tired from just being out in the open elements all the time. But even the one thing I, I like as well is uh, being able to charge batteries if they've got power. Yeah, I was going to say that. Some clubs. Given the electric so big these days, everyone wants a, uh, a decent charge point as well. So I think a lot of clubs are uh, improving those facilities as well for the electric flyers. I don't know about you, but when I've had electric planes, I've had to buy multiple batteries because I couldn't charge at the field. So I'd end up with six batteries and I spent all this and they're expensive yeah. and they don't last. They, you know, if you get three or four years out of batteries, you're doing extremely well, you know, cause they'll puff up at some point in time and, 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 you know, just, just get stuffed basically. But if you've got that ability to buy say less batteries, cause now you can charge them in between flights then that is just, it's better for, for, you know, we now spend less money on buying batteries. We're still flying. We're just charging them at the field. And that's what Pakenham is just phenomenal. The Pakenham club where I'm a member of, they actually own the, own the field. So that does help that they can invest their money in it. Yeah. It's awesome to see that the, um, it's Massa, isn't it, over in South Australia? Yeah. Yeah. They've done a great job in, in buying a couple of fields. I think Victoria has been a exceptional at that we've got three or four one two well four four state fields which is it's just and they're good places too and they're doing a really good job with them you know i had a chat with michael hobson on the podcast from up in queensland and they didn't have that foresight up in queensland so they're now under fire as far as having flying sites available to them but we southerners we know how to do it don't we ash yeah even like the last couple of years that um yeah, uh, Mass has done a really good job of uh, acquiring these uh, fields. And like Mike said earlier, they've got that 100 acres down um, south of Adelaide for the uh, Southern Soaring League. And but things like that, that doesn't come up every uh, every year, that sort of uh, property to buy and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, the work behind the scenes that uh, the uh, MAAA and Mass do to uh, try and keep the, the hobby alive is like, um, is a re- like really good job for these like the kids that are coming through and that sort of thing. Um, they're actually going to have a, f- a field to fly at for uh, years to come. Yeah, no, that's and um, and the thing is, like a hundred acres, they're not, they don't need a hundred acres, but they'll lease. Well, most of them lease some land out to the local farmers and stuff like that, which not only sort of keep the the land looking okay because they're using it for something, but uh, also generates a bit of revenue to help with some of the expenses associated with it, whether it be paying off mortgages or investing in, in facilities for the field. So, yeah, and, and some and, of these, um, like these remote clubs, like they don't have 240 to the uh, the club rooms as well. So it's also like that that funding to like let, allow them to put solar on the roof to to set up these battery um, mm. stations for the for the electric fires to charge at. So, and do you know what? I've, that kind of stuff is getting easier. I'm a member of another club and they don't have access to power, but they've got a battery bank and they even have on the roof a wind turbine. And that that does, and they run a fridge. So there's the bank of batteries and they run the fridge off it and uh, with all their sausages and a few drinks and all that kind of stuff for the weekend. And that little wind turbine keeps those batteries charged no problem whatsoever. You know, it's yeah. just, and with the, the batteries these solutions. days, they're coming down in price, but... Uh, um, yeah, the power that they can put out in like a even like a little maybe two or three kilowatt system um, on the roof. Um, obviously, they don't have to fly or heaps of flies out on the uh, the weekdays. It's just the weekends. But the batteries, the battery bank's always charged and ready to go with those solar systems. It's uh, providing a great way for those um, electric flies to charge and and keep the battery expense down. If you're only like new into the hobby, obviously you might start out with electric, but um, 
yeah, those solar systems for those clubs is just great as well. Yeah. Now, you're a young guy and you've got many, many years ahead of you. Where do you think you'll be in the in the hobby in, in 30 years' time? I'm dreading it because now uh, Thomas is uh, he's three now, so he uh, loves the shed, loves sitting in the trailer and spinning oh, no. all the props and looking in the jets and the pilots, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, here goes the money. <laughs> so... But do you know, just on that... It might keep him off you... the streets. Yeah, well, when your wife says to you it's all your fault, you can actually turn around to her and say, it's actually, it's all your fault because you got me into this. Yeah. But um, no, I hope like, we can acquire some more fields here in SA and, um, and maybe just uh, like expand the exposure or um, like I've always said, like maybe we can do some demos at some schools or something like take a model to the schools and do something during like tech ed or something like that and, and show them and the technology in them. It's just not um, a bit of a wooden glue these days, like the electronics in them as well. Like every school's getting into coding and all that sort of stuff. But the electronics in these planes and um, the gyro systems and um, power boards and all that sort of stuff, it's actually quite uh, intriguing for these kids to understand and, and show them that you just don't go out there and you crash. Like some of these systems like the A A3X from... Um, spectrum that they, they can keep these kids flying and it gets them into the hobby and and it keeps them in the air. Yeah, well, I've seen in China that they, you know, a friend of mine in China, frankly, who runs courses at schools and it's basically part of the science program is teaching them about aviation and part of it happens to be building a rubber band powered plane. So mm -hmm. in doing that exercise, you're learning a lot of different skills, but you're also learning about flight and the physics of flight. And one of the reasons why the Chinese government doesn't mind that is that they understand the role of you know, unmanned aircraft and the role that's going to play in the future. And so they need engineers and people in the industry developing new technology. And that's why the China aviation and uh, you know, aerospace sort of scene is phenomenal. Yeah. Like, absolutely phenomenal. I've met a bunch of uni students that told me, I said to them, we had dinner with them and they're all studying uh, aerospace engineering and, and I said, well, you have jobs when you leave uni. And they said, yeah, straight away. He said, the government is supporting this industry. They want to see us in jobs and developing new technology. And I saw some unmanned aircraft at a flying event that I was you know, judging the aerobatic competition. And at that field, there was a hangar there. It was like a light aircraft field kind of thing, like an ultralight field. And in the hangar was a company that was set up that was developing UAV models, and they were phenomenal. They looked beautiful. Big, quite big, but uh, but we don't have that in Australia. And it starts at the grassroots. That you know They would they run – so the schools would you know, have to build – and the students would build these – rubber band power planes and then have a competition at one of the competitions the guy was telling me they had a thousand students competing okay, yeah. they've got lots of people in china but um you know i'd love to see something like that that becomes part of the curriculum as part of a science you know project or something where you know i i look personally i've tried to instigate something like that and encourage the industry to get involved that to to create a thing i think we could do it here in australia there's just a lot of work it comes down to effort, Ash. And, and yeah. as I say to my, my, my customers in the marketing world, who's going to do it and when are they going to do it are the two biggest questions. And, and that's always the hardest thing, who and when. 
Oh, when I, if I have to ask myself that 30 years time, what am I going to be doing? I'm going to be that guy sitting on the mower going up and down, cutting the grass, on that <laughs> mowing roster. And that would be, that would be me. You know, who's going to cut the grass? Me. When am I going to do it? Every Thursday. <laughs> it's going to be me. I think I just given the, um, there's a field there. Yeah. The current like airline industry, obviously it's pretty poor at the moment, but um, yeah, that UAV scene, um, obviously manufacturing in Australia is um, also not that great. So it's getting these young kids into like, um, there's a lot of technology in schools, obviously. And, um, programming and coding and all that sort of stuff, but even uh, some of the work that they're doing in schools to uh, um, to get kids into like uh, all the drones and all that sort of stuff. And mm. who would have thought back maybe five, ten years ago that they would have been taking pictures of your home to put on realestate.com with a drone? Like it's just <laughs> people. Would, I would have thought people would still be going around with the cameras, not taking pictures with a drone to put on a uh, to sell your property. <laughs> well, just think about how a lot of that technology will actually transform into into full size flight. I, you know, um, there's a friend of mine who actually has developed the mod the model for a a four seater electric powered unmanned light aircraft. Right, that literally this plane will fly itself with four passengers in it, and you know, or use it for cargo or whatever, and it's electric as well. So mm. now it's quiet and it's autonomous, and that technology that you know, and that's why we're seeing some people like we had Craig Bavery on the podcast, and he's actually working in the industry, um, you know, uh, working with unmanned aircraft, building the models, test flying the models, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. There's even a career path for people that may, if you're young and you're into engineering and things like that or a bit technically minded and you like model airplanes, there's actually career paths for you. And I think the Defence Forces really, um, through STEM programs and things like that, have really pushed the drone thing, that they see that pathway from the hobbyists through to um, sort of defence applications. They need people with those skills. So, Yeah, there's even a, um, a couple of guys at my local club um, actually work in defense and they're actually yeah part of that uh, uae or the uav um program as well here in in sa as well so it shows you that yeah they fly model planes but they also go and do that as their job as well yeah yeah now big final question uh which is the signature move the flat out rc signature move and you've owned many models and you've heard this question and you've heard me ask this question many people before what has been your favorite model and I'm going to give you the challenge this time because I've been getting a bit lenient. People are going, oh, can I give you a couple? I want one, Ash. There's always one that is. There's only one that can that can win the race. So I want one model from you. That I currently own or that I currently that I want? or Any, any plane that you've owned. You might not own it. You might have crashed it. But what has been your been your favorite model that you've you've owned? Current favorite is the, um, the new L39. That's just a... Uh... Unbelievable piece of kit, and uh, from the first takeoff, it's just so stable. Um, it's getting up around 24, 25 kilos, so it's not a small frame, but um, yeah, it's just so stable. Um, and with the 160, and it's it's not overly powered; it's quick, but um, it's just it was a pleasure to fly for the uh, the four flights that I've had on it so far. It's, and just coming to land, it was just. Oh, it was unbelievable. Look at you. You're like a kid in a candy store. Well, good. I'm glad you said the L39, not the Hobby King Bixler, as being your favourite. But uh, but anyway, uh, well, I've, well got done. A, um, I've just picked up a uh, calf model's uh, machete as well, which I think there's only two in 
Australia. Michael Hobson's got another. He's got the red one up there in Queensland. So I've got one down here in SA, and uh, I've had a fly of it from the previous owner, and that also is an uh, awesome flying plane as well with a uh, DA100 in the front of it. Yeah, so, well, actually, I know there was another one. There was um, Glenn Orchard. Uh, it is. Down this here one Victoria, is Glenn's. Oh, you bought Glenn's? I bought Glenn's. <laughs> Did he repair it? I've. Uh... Did he repair it? Well, there was a repair job. I don't know if it was prior Glenn or Glenn's, but um, no, it was Glenn. Was it Glenn? Yeah, it's just because yeah. the uh, the rudder is so big on it. There's a lot of force on it, so I think it was um, within their original um, or their first few versions. Um, there was an issue, but uh, yeah, we've put some um, fiberglass uh, cloth in there and some high sole and strengthened it up. But uh, yeah, that should that's be a good fly that's... as well. I've I've got lots of photos of that plane flying, and every photo of it looks great. You cannot take a bad photo of that uh, of that plane. That Mark. Well, Eddie. I first saw it in uh, Mildura a couple of years ago. There, fun fly out yep. there when he had it, and uh, with the uh, canvases on it, it's just it's so quiet. But um, yeah, yeah. and it's got all the scale Beautiful. features. It's got the light kit and the the pilot in it, and all the dash and everything. It's actually a really nice model. I think it's about yeah fourteen or fifteen years old as well. But that's also a Awesome looking plane from Cast. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Glenn can fly. He's one of the best pilots going around, Glenn Orchard. But uh, awesome pilot. Yeah. Well, uh, Ash. Now, before I say thank you, the building service that you provide. If anybody's interested in getting you to build a, a model, where do they go to find, get in contact with you? Yeah, so I've got a website with all pictures and um, uh, all the build articles and all that sort of stuff, and you can contact me via there. And also on Facebook and Instagram as well. But um, the website is uh, performance-rc.com.au um, and on Facebook as well, it's uh, under Performance RC Australia or AUS for Australia. Excellent. Well, uh, I can vouch for Ash's work. He built my extra. I have flown it. I did one flight on it. And it hasn't um, crashed. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was, uh, look, I'm probably Australia's best pilot to never win anything. But uh, <laughs> no, nah, it was all right. I, the only thing I had to do was... The CG. I had to move the battery. The battery holders that you put in put in the plane. I had to move them forward. It needed more more weight in the towards the nose, but that was a, a very simple. You're a nose heavy flyer. Well, it's, I like it to be. Well, it was would have been too when we did a CG test. Um, yeah, it was a bit on the rear. Um, but then yeah, I I I yeah, do like. I thought you're Australia's best three D plane. Pilot. They like them a little bit tail heavy. Yeah, it's a lot of rubbish. Planes don't fly <laughs> when, you, when you whack that much lead on the tail, kind of thing. Nah, I, I am. I'm pretty much. I'm going to be Australia's greatest glider pilot. You know that I've got this new glider as well. So I've been telling my friends. But, but Ash, look, basically what I say is every time I buy a model, I, I, I tell everybody that I'm going to be the world's greatest at it. So I am Australia's greatest radio control paramotor pilot as well. If you didn't realise, you're a high achiever. I, I am. I am. <laughs> Anyway, Ash, it's been lovely to have a chat with you. Congratulations on the newborn baby. Uh, commiserations that your life is going to go downhill for the next 10 years or so. So, um, and, you know, we hope to see you at a flying field in 2030 or something when you get let out again. Yes, and uh, hopefully we can um, come over to Victoria. I was hoping to go get over for uh, Shepparton and Wangaratta Jets again this year, but um, obviously given the circumstances, uh, hopefully everything's back on board next year and we can do a few trips again. And I will be there as well to see you at those events as well so we can catch up face-to-face, -face, which would be Again. great. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Thanks, Ash. Have a good one. Thanks, Andrew. About to leave. Already packing.
asking come with me i'm not really asking we'll get away to a place where we don't know episode 30 done and dusted big thank you to ash cox for joining me on the flat out rc podcast these interviews are getting longer and longer but i guarantee you next week's interviews will be shorter i've got a big name coming next week uh mixing it up you'll have a guy on that uh is involved in radio control you know, a very avid radio control fighter but also very renowned in the full size aerobatics flying so stay tuned uh big name coming up i don't like giving away too much to keep you coming back and speaking of keeping coming back if you're enjoying the podcast subscribe subscribe to whatever platform you're listening to this on now whether it be Apple podcast spotify soundcloud get on board uh also whilst you're in the mood for subscribing flat out us instagram page facebook and youtube channel i've got a list of youtube videos to shoot i just got to be able to get to a flying field i'm sorry everyone if i produce videos now of me sitting in uh, my office or at home you're gonna get mighty bored so unfortunately just can't get out there due to the, the, the government restrictions which hopefully will be will be relieved of surely uh, especially the restriction to be able to travel into country areas where i live we've got a 25 kilometer ring around that's where we can't move anyway thanks for joining me once again big thank you to ash cox uh and stay tuned great guests coming up next week thanks a lot yeah.